Welcome back to I Was Hornswoggled, a podcast about waking up from a narcissist-induced nightmare. I am your host, Harena, and this is a Van Diary episode, but it's going to be kind of different because I actually brought one of my um, books that I like to touch base with. And I am in the van, so that is true. Uh, if you didn't know, I put out an episode yesterday that where I was not in my van, and I covered smear campaigns and um, just brushed over the topic because there's so many different facets of smear campaigns. But in this episode, I want to cover this book um, that I had purchased when I first found out that I had a narcissist parent or parents. And it's called The Covert Passive-Aggressive Narcissist. And one thing I noticed was that it was really hard to find stuff. Like uh, in the Narcissist Facebook groups, a majority of everything that I read was always something to do with covert narcissist, like being in relationship with a narcissist. And I never really could find anything that really touched base with having narcissist parents, right? So if maybe you've been luckier than I have been, but I'm going to try to set my phone down in my van. So I am not, so I don't know if my voice will be too far away because I'm setting you in the drink holder. <laughs> maybe I will set, because I have to be able to hit pause if I'm going to like sneeze or cough or something. So, but I wanted to cover this book, um, one section it's called recognizing the traits and finding healing after hidden emotional and psychological abuse. And the author is Debbie Mirza with the foreword by Meredith Miller. So what I've done is I was really happy that she actually does include, um, in chapter six, covert narcissist parents. So that was one of the main reasons why I bought this book. But one of the really cool things that I like about it is obviously <clears throat> she goes down through the, um, because it's about covert passive aggressive narcissists, forgive me because I am doing this on the fly with my book in my hand sitting in my van. So the table of contents, she, de- she starts with like, what is a covert passive aggressive narcissist? And then goes into the three phases, which is love bombing, devaluing, and the discard. And then traits of the targets. That would be us, like traits of the victims. Because, believe it or not, narcissists do pick you for a reason. And then there's also traits of a covert narcissist and control and manipulation tactics, covert narcissistic parents. And that's what I wanted to touch on today. In the covert narcissist in the workplace, sex with a covert narcissist, divorcing a covert narcissist, why do they emotionally and psychologically abuse, the most dangerous traits of all, your body new, common illnesses, and that's one thing I noticed when I um, had started to really get close to waking up and finding out that I was being, you know, narcissistically abused, is I would have horrible back aches, back pains. I would get knots all of a sudden. It's almost like the closest I was getting to finding out the truth about the life I had been living and waking up to it. My body started hurting. And then when I finally confronted my mom 
and kicked her out of my house when she showed up, you know, after she started to catch on that I wasn't buying what she was selling anymore. And she showed up at my house and I had to, you know, she kind of cornered us and was like, why aren't you, you know, calling me? She knew something was up. She knew, she knew the gig was up and that we had busted her out and we were reacting in such a way that made her throw her very first narcissistic temper tantrum in front of my husband so um she knew and my body knew so and then the 13th chapter is what survivors feel and the 14th the 14th <laughs> i am so tired today the four, <laughs> 14th chapter is the road to healing and restoration and then they actually also include traits of a covert narcissist checklist educational resources articles and videos that she quoted acknowledgments and then more about the author so if you want to check this book out i really enjoy it and the other part of the why i really enjoy the book is because she is um a therapist she's a restorative coach author and singer and songwriter debbie, debbie mirza she helps um this is off in the back of the book i'm not just making this up she helps people recognize the truth of what they have experienced and heal after being in relationships with covert narcissists. So uh, you can go to DebbieMirza.com where she has online courses, guided meditations, books, and healing music. And that is Debbie, D-E-B-B-I-E, Mirza, M-I-R-Z-A. So let's check out chapter six and it's titled Covert Narcissist Parents. I'm obviously not going to read to you chapter six. I have plucked out some talking points that as I was reading the chapter I highlighted to kind of talk about um, with you in this episode. So um, one of the points that she makes in this chapter is that covert narcissist parents seem to either be overly involved in their kids' lives or they're the parent who was uninvolved. And the one thing when I look back at my relationship with my mom growing up as a child, and I've mentioned it before, my sister and I are two months, two days, and two years apart. And she would, everybody goes, oh, I was the golden child, or you are the golden child, and I was the scapegoat, and blah, blah, blah. Like, I've, I've heard a lot of siblings, like, find it so quick to just smack a label on themselves and other siblings without realizing that in, in our case, I truly see where my mom would share, would change roles between my sister and I. So if she was getting the, the best supply from one of us, the other one would be, uh, you know, cast out into the scapegoat realm. And if she felt like she was really being, you know, getting a really good feed on from the other daughter, she would change roles. And this was, this has gone on and it most likely is still going on to this day, which is leads me most to another topic I'll have to cover is my relationship now with my sister. You know, I've kind of alluded to it with the remarrying of my mom. It definitely triggered some old habits in my sister where in order for her to survive around my mom and this new new stepdad because she lives so close and under my mom's thumb financially that she cannot appear to be close to me because inevitably that means that she is not close to my mom so she has to still keep up the facade 
that I am the evil daughter and she is the fantastic daughter and she still craves my mom's approval, attention, and all that. So that is a topic or an epi- for another episode. So um, what I'm covering right now is... People are probably staring. There are so many parents dropping their kids off. I'm just this chick in a in a van reading a book, and my phone is not near my face. So hopefully they just assume I'm like reading a book over a Bluetooth or something, because I'm getting some looks. <laughs> so, anyways, we we are going to keep going forward. So um, that is, I definitely see how it personally my covert narcissist parent would hop in between being involved in one of our lives while uninvolving themselves in the other other life so we were interchangeable to her and also it says the parent who is absent or uninvolved will connect with their kids if the conversation centers on a topic of interest to the covert narcissist parent. In those moments, the child feels loved, but it doesn't last. The covert narcissist won't engage in what the child needs. They do not know their children and are not aware of their needs. They may know them on a surface level, but they don't take the time to really get to know them on a deeper level. They often will label their kids as being a certain way that is actually very far off from the truth of who their kids actually are. As with all narcissists, they will project their own issues onto their children, calling them manipulative, controlling, selfish, and other traits that they possess themselves. And I have noticed that, uh, thinking back, my mom would always call my sister selfish and she would always point out how my sister was an opportunist and as i started to get older i saw that my mom was actually selfish and the opportunist and then she would always downplay me where she would not give me what i needed in my life and now that i'm a mom of a daughter like i can look at my daughter and i can see her needs and my son I can see when their their clothes are starting to get tight that they need new clothes. If their shoes are looking really sketchy and dirty and, and they're getting a little snug and their toes are coming to the top, it's time to get them new shoes. If my daughter is getting closer and getting older that she might need like training like bra or a sports bra, I don't have a problem grabbing that, you know, and then while I am being the best mom that I know how to be to my kids is really teaching me how much my mom actually was not a part of my life. I remember not getting new bras ever. And part of this uh, podcast is sorry if I'm going to get personal, but it is what it is because dealing with uh, and sharing about narcissistic abuse or any abuse on any level is um, very personal. So I remember growing up and in seventh grade still not having a bra or anything and clearly needing one and when i did get bras i maybe got like two or three and they were never replaced when they started to get worn or holes and i remember my mom actually making fun of me because i found some needle and thread and was trying to mend my own bras and this was like in ninth grade i was in high school having to sew my bras because they would get holes in them and she would not replace them and then she would make fun of me for 
there being like a lump in my bra, like where your shirt lays over your bras, she would make fun of me for having like a lump there and go, ha ha, that's where that thread is from your sister sewing your bras. And then it got to the point where I would have to wear two bras just to have that support because they were getting so old and stretched out. I didn't feel like I was being supported and my body and uh, she would also make fun of that. But not once did she get me a new bra. And it's not like something I really wanted to go to my dad. So I just made, I found that I am very resourceful now as an adult and I just kind of go with the punches and roll with the punches because I was trained to. I was given a crap situation and I always tried to make the best out of it and relied on myself to do it because instinctively I knew that that chick, I could not rely on her for crap because <laughs> it's sad that when you look as a child and you're like, yeah, it's like you as a kid understood the assignment, you know, that they say. I understood the assignment. I understood at that point that my mom was just going to ridicule me and make fun of me for not having the items that I needed as a growing woman and a growing girl, but yet that would also make fun of me. And she also did the same thing with like, like spring jackets. My dad worked in an auto, um, like in industry and he would get like coats and stuff from like either lottery things that he entered into to win or prizes from like solicitors that would come by the business and he had given me like a red white and blue chevy like a uh, spring jacket I asked which one of us girls needed a spring jacket because you know what my mom never bought us one and she and I needing one said, I will take it, but it was the size for, it was a man size jacket. It was big, but I loved it. It was new and my dad gave it to me. So I didn't care, but my mom would make fun of me all the time because she was like, you always wearing that jacket. Well, what are my options? Like, what are my options? <laughs> you, if you don't give me another jacket, I'm going to wear the only one I have you crazy person. Like I don't. So if any of this might sound true to you, like your parents just drop the ball and as a covert narcissist, they, they covertly drop the ball and then ridicule you for not having what you as the parent should be providing for them. So I definitely identified with that is my mom never took the time to understand who I was. And then I naturally would rebel outward and then she would just brush off anything that she didn't approve of as being a stage. Oh, it's just a stage. Oh, it's just a stage. Okay. So, and then uh, the author goes further into saying whether the parent is overly involved or very uninvolved, the impact is actually the same. There is no help with the development of self from either one. The child will feel alone and unseen. And now I know why my bedroom wall was littered with artwork. I would draw, and now it makes so much sense, um, I would draw a lot of um, shoulder up pictures of girls with random objects covering their mouth. Whether it be a hand or a bandage or their lips were stitched together or whatever. Clearly at that point in my life, I was not feeling heard. And I think that was an actual understanding in, in my subconscious 
that my mom obviously did not know me and she did not care to know me and she would not ever hear anything I said. She would only hear her own words. So it was a waste of time to really share anything with her. So, um, they, (laughs) this was, this was another part. All covert narcissists are selfish at their core. So that is how they are going to parent. They want their child's attention and praise. Some covert narcissist parents will focus more time and love onto the golden child who gives them the most adoration. The covert narcissist parent will become frustrated and angry with a child who doesn't want to get into their world. And that was me. The minute I got away out of the house, I immediately was the scapegoat and my sister was the golden. So she would flop us. Um, she would demand perfect grades from my sister, but she would never hold me or, or even care about my grades or whatever I got, but she would want my sister to get immaculate grades. Um, nothing that she was not involved in my life unless I had a friend or a boyfriend that she did not like, which was all of them because she was a covert narcissist and she didn't want me to have friends or boyfriends. She would try to sabotage and succeeded in sabotaging many relationships. And then she would tell me later that she did it. And then she would sell it to me like it was for my own good. So that was fun. They will also give them the silent treatment and punish them by withdrawing from them. The covert narcissist's dad or mom will be kinder to the child who will listen to him or her, often the more sensitive, empathetic child who doesn't want any conflict. And that was the role my sister took. They instead gave her her allowance, paid for her cell phone, gave her her gas money, you know, she got her car too, and she wouldn't have to um, provide for herself like I did. But the trade-off was she was a prisoner where I had freedom. So both of us had a sucky experience. But when I started talking to my sister and reconnecting with her for the first time, in her mind, she was the scapegoat and I was always the golden child. And that really never settled right with me because she couldn't open her eyes wider to see we both were both at different times of our life. And, um, there was a really good video I'm going to have to share on my next episode about siblings because I loved it where the person with the video, I want to say maybe her name is Maria, but I, I don't want to get her name wrong. She stated that it's really common for victims of narcissistic abuse or just abuse in general to just embrace that victim attitude and then carry that through with their li- in, into their life where they're always seen that like their special identity is the victim. And I find that that is a lot of where my sister's at right now is her special identity is she is the victim. Nobody else is the victim, only her. So it has been quite interesting. I had to pause because I had a lot of people walking up next to me, <laughs> staring at my, me and my man with my book talking to myself clearly. All right. So, um, yeah, so that is, that was a struggle first reconnecting with my, my sister, um, after finding out that our mom was a narcissist and abusing both of us was for her to let go of all of the labels that my mom brainwashed her with throughout 
the decades, where when I reconnected with my sister, I immediately threw out all the labels that my mom gave her through the decades, because I wanted to give her a platform and a foundation to get to know her all over again. But she never gave me the same courtesy. She always would paint me the same color that my mom did. So even though we reconnected, we never, I was never given a fresh foundation and my sister never wanted to take the time to get to know me as a person. She constantly was labeling me the labels my mom would label me. And that is I had to pull away from her because if she's not baked enough to see the air in her own ways, I'm not going to waste my time trying to get her to do it. I can't control her. She's going to have to, to stop being ignorant and arrogant and want to see me and give me a fair try like I did her, but she did not. And she, in the countless times, um, the pattern of behavior started to appear where she would start cutting me down. She'd cut down my hair. I would say, Hey, I didn't really appreciate that. And then she would just laugh it off and go, Oh, you know, I didn't mean it like that. I'm like, girl, you don't even know, but you're at, you got some narc fleas from our mom and you're letting them show. And I don't keep friends around that belittle me and I'm not going to keep a sister around that belittles me. So yeah. So when she started telling me that she referred to me to my mom when my mom was at her wedding going, Oh, I can't wait until I'm married because it's been so long since I've been with a man. She was just saying all this at her wedding. My mom was, and she would have never talked like this in the past. But since she has this new man and this new identity and this, she has to chameleon herself. She all of a sudden started talking about her sex life openly during her reception and then trying to throw my sister on stage. Obviously I was, I did not go. And, um, why would I? So when my sister started saying stuff like, yeah, she kept at telling me she can't wait to get to their honeymoon. And I was like, I don't want to hear that. I'm not that daughter. And she didn't like even think twice about her words. And my sister is just tattling on herself about how she repeatedly threw me under the bus during the reception in front of everyone. And I was just like, wow, that, what does that even mean? I'm not that daughter. So it's like, it really put a red flag, a narcissist red flag out for my sister because she started cutting me down. She's she lashing out at me on the telephone randomly, just treating me in the, in the ways she would not treat her friends. And then throwing me under the bus multiple times during my mom's uh, reception. And then after, and I was just like, oh no, I'm not going to be bamboozled by another family member. I'm not doing it. So I had to make the choice to just go no contact with my sister at this point because I can't trust her. She started looking a lot like my mom. She started treating me a lot like my mom did. And I'm not going to put up with that. I have zero room for narcissists in my life. And if you even smell like one, I will keep you at arm's distance. I'm not, and no apologies necessary. I'm still trying to learn and heal. And I am not about to rip that scab off for some dirt to dirt. 
So, sorry for getting off on that tangent, but it goes right along with what I'm talking about with the scapegoat and the golden child. I clearly saw how our roles were reversed depending on the type and the amount of supply my mom would get from us. My sister's too blinded. She wants to take the victim card and run with it, where she's the victim of everybody and she's like, you know, but she doesn't want to see that there's room for more than one victim in this story. So... The covert narcissist also may not say things to their children's faces, but they will feel the judgment and dislike them. Dis and dislike. They will feel the judgment and dislike from the covert narcissist parent. Yep, all the time. I could never do anything right for my mom. If I colored my hair uh, when I was older, she wouldn't let us color our hair till we were like 18. When I would color my hair, she would. I go, hey, do you like this? She's like, it's okay. She would never fully commit to a compliment. If I had black shoes and white socks, but you would never see my socks because my, sh and once again, they bought me my socks. Um, she would make fun of my shoes. She would make fun of my clothes. At one point, we were only given five tops and five pants for an entire year to wear as we were in high school and we're growing people, yet we were never given clothes to replace the clothes only one time a year and that was before school would we get new clothes and it was five tops and five pants one for every day of school I don't know what we had to do we just had to keep washing them for the weekend and then so when in the 90s grunge became a thing and um, grunge rock and grunge alternative music and nirvana and everything so that was my saving grace i raided my dad's closet i wore his flannels i wore his t-shirts and i looked grunge so i slid through high school against my mother's wishes she meant to set me up for failure by giving me five shirts and five pants for me to last my whole freaking school year and I threw a wrench in her evil plans to make me suffer. And I started wearing my dad's clothes and it ticked her off. And he didn't care. He was like, I'm not wearing them, whatever. So then my sister and I, so then my sister followed suit. So we just looked like we were grunge people without actually being part of the grunge movement fully. And then I just embraced it. I was like, you know what, I'm diving in. So I was emo before emo was a thing. And I also embraced it because it ticked my mom off. I thought, you know what, if you're going to not help me out, I'm just going to lean into it. <laughs> so I did. And that was my saving grace. So I feel like I was always rolling with the punches and my sister was always avoiding the punches by appeasing the puncher. So that's where we were at. Also, um, she mentions the golden child is lavished on and treated with more kindness. This can seem like a nice thing for the child, but in fact, it puts them in a position of trying to be perfect in order to keep that love and attention. And that was where my sister was, where I fully understand. I'm baked enough. My brain is fully understanding the concept that both scapegoat and golden child are both prisons. The golden child actually is, I think, a term that sends the wrong message because a golden child doesn't have it golden they're also a prisoner the, they're being lavished and they're choosing to stay on the teat of the narcissist because they're being lavished with gifts where the scapegoat is shoved away out of the nest and refused love refused attention refused gifts but they're going in alone and i think that they develop at a faster rate 
because they have they have to learn to survive quicker and they ha and where the one still on the teat does never have to learn how to survive and i think that's where my sister is at this point where she is still reliant upon my mom's um financial help and also her um, being able to just live down the road if she needs help, you know, so I quickly caught on that she was playing both sides of the fence She was playing me and playing my mom. She in Just because she was terrified to make a stand for herself and that's not something anybody can do but her So I don't feel bad about it. I understand where she's at, but I also will not stick around and, and be her victim either so um, so yeah, and then I wanted to wrap up with, um, saying one woman, and that's the other part I really like about this book is that she shares her cases, her situations, um, that she has come through with her clients. She shares them so she, you can get a more broader aspect of what other people's scenarios have been. So you get like a little buffet of experiences to kind of touch base with. And she says, one woman, she said, said she hated it when her friends would come over because her mom would be so nice to them and they would leave thinking what a great life she had. She was dying inside and no one could see. So that my mom always would say, I love it. I don't know what's so wrong with me. Whenever your friends come over, I get so giddy and happy. Well, hello, lady. It's because you had a good five new supplies enter your house. And then my mom is always kind of like this low-key uh, troll. With my friends, she loved that they would come over since so she had a stage to perform on. Then she would try to do anything to embarrass my sister or I in front of our friends. And then she would flip it and try to embarrass our friends. She would have us play games like like embarrassing games um where you when you're teenagers and preteens you don't really want to be doing these games it's like she took all of the stupid party games that she had ever done and picked out all the embarrassing ones and then would make us do it and try to sell it to us like it was fun and we were all like a captive audience because she was the adult and we were being forced to play like stupid like um baby shower games like filling the bowl with cotton balls and putting Vaseline on your face and seeing how many cotton balls you can get. And then she'd laugh and take pictures and then show people. It was just like, now I'm looking back, I'm like, holy crap, this woman was an artist. She just ran everything and she got maximum feeding out of it all. And it's just gross now when I look back at it. She would also play these tricks, uh, put a funnel in the waistband of me and my friend's pants and then play this, oh, can you drop the quarter into the funnel? And then when our friends would close their eyes, she'd pour water in the funnel and then the whole front of them gets wet and then she'd laugh. <laughs> you know, so it was like, we obviously, as we got older, stopped wanting to have friends come over. So, so there's that. I'm going to wrap up this episode. I've been talking for a half an hour and I'm going to head into the school and pick up my kids. So I hope um, this has been a great episode for you to, to uh, get to know a new author, Debbie Mirza. And the book is The Covert Passive Aggressive Narcissist. And I'm not done. I'm going to use, I'm going to touch base on this some more. So, um, thank you. And I hope you are having a blessed day. I will talk to you later and see you in episode 16. Bye.